Hello, everybody. Welcome to RPG Cast episode 261 for the week of April 6, 2013. I'm your host, Chris Privet, here with RP Gamer's latest podcast in the world of RPG updates. And uh, yeah, just RPG updates. We only cover patch notes. Uh, Diablo 3 is 1.08 patch notes out this week, and that's all I saw, so we're done. Um, no need to talk Thanks to. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Yeah, no need to talk to Anna Marie Newfeld. Well, we're done. Yep. No need to talk to John Yearworth. Yay, I can sleep. And no need to talk to Emmanuel Marino. Great, I can start my new podcast, Geekly Weekly. Hey! Hi, guys. Welcome to Geekly Weekly. That's my show. How dare you? Just for that, we're doing a show here. (laughs) Aw, Manny. I'm sorry, guys. Your fault. I'll never make fun of the Geekly Weekly again. (laughs) Or listen to it. Darn. Hey. Oh. (laughs) You can follow the Geekly Weekly over at geeklyweekly.com. Now on iTunes. Subscribe now and leave us a five-star review. And I'll be your friend. All right. With that, <laughs> let's jump God, into the God, that almost story. sounds like a threat. <laughs> yes. That I'll be your friend. Yes. <laughs> Probably is. Uh, so I'm going to do something different. John, I'd like you to start us off with what you've been playing this week. Okay. Well, before I get on to the one that I share with you... Um, I can't remember. I can't remember if I have talked about Tales of Zillia 2 on the cast before, but I've been playing Tales of Zillia 2. Unfortunately, uh-huh. there's not really a vast amount I can say about it because uh, it's like one of those cases where it's a direct sequel to a Tales game where just about anything I could conceivably say about it would be a massive spoiler for Tales of Zillia 1, which of course isn't out yet. Um, so, yeah. It's like... Well, it's 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 fun. It's enjoyable. So you wanted just, to talk about it, but you can't talk about it. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah, but it's kind of like I can talk about it, but there's a number of things that I can't talk about, like the characters, for example. Oh, really? All right. Because um, obviously a lot of the characters do recur, um, given that it's a direct sequel. Um, I can't talk about a lot of the locations because technically their mere existence spoils part of Zillia's story. Uh, the battle system is actually pretty much the same, so I can probably talk about that. But I know, has anyone have you seen any of the uh, I don't know, trailers? Can you or talk anything? about any of the non-story elements of this game and whether or not it's worth playing? Whether or not it adds anything to Zillia that Zillia didn't have, or to the Tales series as a whole? Um, I'll tell you what it feels like. Uh, Zillia 2 feels like Namco Bandai looked at um, Final Fantasy XIII 2 and sort of said, you know, we have a lot of assets that we didn't use for the development of Tales of Zillia. Let's just do what thirteen two did, but let's do it better. Oh, okay. So, so there's a new main character. You know, he's not, not mentioned in Zillia at all. New main, completely new main character. And I think it's kind of... The game is kind of designed so that ordinarily um, in Tales games you can switch between the characters in your party, and you can still do that here. It's just the the, the main character introduced in Tales of Zillia 2 uh, has a couple of unique mechanics that aren't shared by any of the other characters. Um, for example, while most Tales of main characters only wield, only ever wield one weapon... And regardless of what it is, it's usually just one weapon, be it a sort of sword, knuckles, whatever, you know, uh, what are they called? Knuckle dusters or whatever. Um, Whereas the main character of Tales of Zillia 2 wields three weapons at once and can switch between them. Um, He starts off with a pair of um, sort of short, uh, short bladed daggers, also obtains a pair of 
pistols, somewhat oddly, and a, a two-handed sort of hammer-type weapon, um, which means he's a really kind of um, sort of very versatile character. Um, the other interesting thing about Zillia 2 is the main character, unlike just basically every other Tales, char- uh, Tales main character in existence, isn't talkative. He's actually a, almost a complete, complete mute. Oh. Um, basically, um, instead of having the main character interject his um, you know, thoughts into any cutscene, when, when a character addresses uh, the main character, you know, when another character addresses the main character, you often basically get this little um, uh, sort of little choice thing where you can pick the main character response to the question that you're asked. Huh. Is he the first silent protagonist in a Tales game? Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, the main, the uh, at least in the like the main series game. Um, but what I've heard is is basically when the basically when these um dialogue choices comes up, uh, ordinarily you basically pick one of the dialogue options, and then the dialogue continues as though that was the response given without the main character making any noises. Uh, what I've heard is um. If once you've actually finished the game once, one of the options you can turn on is every time you pick a dialogue response, the main character actually does voice it as part of the dialogue. That's actually an unlockable. Um, The main character still offers, like, kind of, you know, surprise sounds and combat noises. Uh, Does the main character have a name or do you name him? Yeah, uh, no, the main character does have a name. Uh, Ludger. Actually, his his first name is Ludger. I can't give you the rest of it because it's a spoiler. Okay, so he's a descendant. So they didn't go full on silent protagonist where you name the character, it's your avatar. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, they didn't. They didn't go full. They didn't go um, full on on that one. All right. Um, but I think it, it's kind of it's 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 kind of weird because Zillia Two does follow on sort of fairly soon after Zillia. So it, they're doing the kind of um, it's sort of Final Fantasy Ten Two aspect of exploring what happened after the conclusion of you know the the big epic conclusion to Zillia's story. Mm-hmm. Can you say uh, how long it takes place after? Like, like a couple of weeks, uh, a year? Uh, uh, it's probably about a year or so, because a couple okay. of the characters have kind of moved on into, um, it, yeah, sort of grown up a little bit, as it were, and uh, changed their outfits. So a lot of the characters are now a lot better dressed. <laughs> I know it, it takes, takes one whole game, game to, to get them to change, the change their outfits. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the Tales games have always had those like costume title right. things, yeah, and there are more of them in this game. But everyone, at the very least, has sort of changed their default outfits to represent what they've done. And um, I th- put in my personal opinion, I think they're a lot more snappily dressed. Like, seriously, I think the main character of Zillia 2 is the be- ha- win- should win several awards for best-dressed Tales protagonist. Wait, just sort of a quick reminder for people like me who aren't so super familiar. Zillia just came out in Japan? Uh, uh, Zillia... Zillia- uh, Zillia 2 came out in Japan, I think it was the end of last year. It just okay. took me a little while to actually get around to picking it up and playing it. Uh, Zillia 1's been out in Japan for ages, and I finished it fairly recently. But it's still not on the U.S. and North America. It's in the right? U.S., I think, in the summer. Why the long delay? For It's always been a long delay. Because they're okay. huge games that take forever to localize, I think. But I just imagine how long it's going to take to get, like, another two years for Zillia 2 to get here. If it even comes at all. I, I, well, they have the, uh, the, the, the 
the the Tails team outside Japan have mentioned like um you know like they they're trying to make several announcements this year one of which i suspect will be an announcement localizer uh, you know a, an announcement for yeah, zillia I mean, to yeah i mean they're just not going to announce zillia 2 until zillia zillia out, 1 right? is out yeah. and that's not going to be until summer i don't think um, just look it up august 6 yeah but what, all I can really say is, is basically the the battle system from Zillia One pretty much flows exactly into Zillia Two, and Zillia's battle system is is pretty good, even if it's um, some people would probably consider it a minor step back from uh, the recently released Graces, at least recently released in the U.S. Anyway, uh, will Zillia sell? That's a toughie. Um, bear in mind, though, Zillia is the first Tales game that was produced uh, naturally for the PS3, so to say, because Graces was a, um, uh, an, an enhanced remake of the Wii right. game. So, so Zillia is considered a step back from Graces? Basically, um, the reason, and one of the reasons why I like Graces is um, the Graces battle system uses... Um, effectively a combo points system in battle, which removes the MP requirement, or TP as it is in um, the Tails series, from all abilities. Right. You basically, the only, you are limited by however many combo points you have, and you can use your abilities pretty freely. Um, Izilia kind of steps cl back much closer to the Vesperia combat system, but still seems to go faster, as it were. Um... You can't control multiple party members in, uh, in, in graces, right? To, you can get other people to control multiple party members, but you can't uh, control multiple party members at the same time. Wait, what do you mean? It, uh, Tails has naturally had co-op for years. Oh. So, Anna, you could have been playing Tails with me this whole time. Ooh. I didn't know that. <laughs> if, you switch the, if you switch the party member in the second position from... Uh, Either from you have to have it set to manual as opposed to auto sure. or set auto. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think a couple of games require you to get an upgrade before you can do that. But once you've got it, uh, the second player can, or third player, or even fourth player, you can have you can have pl players pl controlling the entire party. Hmm. I mean, you know, you can easily connect four PS3 controllers. Well, it's always bugged me that I can only control the the main character of the series, and it seems like. Everyone well, else has all these weapons and, and different combos, and like yeah, I can never use them. Still, even if you're playing by yourself, it is still possible to switch the party member you're controlling mid-combat. Heck, in Zillia, it's possible to switch out uh, party members, similar to Final Fantasy X. So I'm like mid 20 hours into Grace's F, and I don't know how to do that. <laughs> okay. Well, basically, uh, you know, if you press, I think it's triangle to open the menu. Yeah. Uh, the the, the in-combat one, then just press start, and that cycles through. Okay. Actually, thinking about it... wasn't in the Grace manual... Grace's F has a fast party switch button, I think. Just use the D-pad while in combat. That changes party members. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to try that. Yeah, I think that's how it works anyway. And, uh, but, and to the wiki. if you're playing with two players, you can switch between like the, the CPU-controlled ones just by both using the D-pad. I've just been thinking the game wanted me to get really good at Asbel's combat style. <laughs> I played. I spent. I played pretty much the entirety of Grace's FS Hubert. Ah, cool. So, and I, I just to answer things in the chat, Zillia uses a kind of hybrid between Grace's and Vesperia, um, in that abilities cost TP once again, um, but you do get a lot of TP, but just by uh, doing basic melee attacks against enemies. Um, 
but there is also a um, uh, there is like a kind of maximum combo number um, as opposed to graces where each ability used up a different amount like the more powerful abilities used up say four whereas your simple slashes only took one um, all abilities in Zillia use up one of the of the combo points and it's just to make sure you basically just can't continually combo things to death I think I think the, on my current save in Zillia too I think the maximum combo I can do is seven which is not bad and particularly since the main the main character Zillia two can do that whole weapon switch thing it means I can start the combo by slashing it with the blades and end the combat by shooting it that's quite a lot of fun mm-hmm. okay so the other main game I've been yeah. playing, which is the same one that Chris has been playing, yep. is Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, I beat Bioshock Infinite. So have I. Of course, and I played it on baby mode, but yeah. Sorry? What? Two games this year, Chris. I know. No, I've got more than that. You're just not counting the other ones. What do you mean? Oh, you played on easy? Yeah, I did. Yeah, don't, don't, you don't even have to stipulate that. Who cares? Yeah, because I honestly didn't care much about the combat. Other yeah. than it's, it's good, but it's just... It's yeah, not no, you I don't play. have to justify it. I mean, yeah. come on. And let, I hate this notion that if you somehow play a game on easy or you don't 100% a game, you're less of a gamer. I don't know. Who cares? All right, Quinn, what's your favorite Vigor? Uh, uh, oh, uh, that's a hard call, that, actually. I mean, I spent most of the game using Possession because it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Charge one with the upgrades is extremely useful in large firefights. Oh, I didn't upgrade that one. I used like, um I used mostly go ahead. The the two upgrades you get for it. Um the first one is uh the impact hit on the charge um causes an explosion. Ooh. And the second one is when you charge it refills your shield slightly. So, which is amazingly useful like as a combat initiator. I can imagine. I used um mostly the crow one upgraded. Oh yeah. I can buy that one with the upgrade that puts traps on corpses is yeah. also hilarious. I spam that and then shoot people. And then the other one I used was the octopus one. And that one's especially on a, on an airship. Yeah. yeah. Wee! I, uh, the, what, two, what two weapons did you normally use? Uh, the weapons? Well, I, I, I quickly grew fond of the Hailfire Cannon. Um, but I couldn't find enough ammo to keep going with that. Um, so then I was... The repeater? No, not the repeater. The... It's like, uh, is, yeah, the burst gun. And the sniper rifle. No, I basically did the entire game with um, the pistol and the shotgun and then traded out the pistol for the hand cannon when it first started showing up. Mm-hmm. The, the upgrades that give you... Um, I think it's a piece of gear you pick up, actually, that where all if you overkill an enemy with enough damage... Um, you stun others, right? Yeah, it sends out an electric shock. You yeah, can, I, I was using that. Uh, I can basically chain kill like five regular enemies with just the hand cannon because you just you headshot the first one, it stuns the other four, and then you just headshot the others in turn. Very mm. easy. Uh, I was, I, but then again, I didn't play on 1999 mode. I played, I just played on normal to start with. So, right. So. What but that's that said, I, I, I think I, I'm in agreement with a lot of people that, yeah, the combat was very fun. Um, yeah, but it, I don't know. I just kind of felt like the, it, 
I wasn't really playing it for the combat. It was much. It was like as much about just look, exploring and looking at the setting yeah. and the really yeah, really storyline. Fine with that. My favorite totally part great. was when the battles were over and then you could just eavesdrop on other people's conversations and explore the world. So, do you guys wish they just would remove the combat period altogether <laughs> and just had that game? Well, they, but then you can't market that game. Mass market and make the money back. No, I think I think that they they kind of had to have at least some way of interacting with the world, be it combat or yeah. something. Uh, it would and be hilarious. It would be like, go ahead. Sorry. It would be hilarious if, like, further down the line, they just released a PL, a piece of DLC that just allowed you to explore Colombia, like without any of the combat or without any of the damage that the city picks up during the course of the story. That would be hilarious. I'd probably spend quite a bit of time like just wandering around looking at the place. Mm-hmm. What if you I were mean, like uh, the DLC was you're a member of the barbershop quartet and you go to different people and sing? <laughs> See, that could work. I'd, I'd buy that. Um, the music in this game is fantastic. Yeah, and the music is really good. I, uh, I don't want to talk about since... why, but yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it's really good. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you you obviously begin to you you begin to suspect that something is up when you start hearing a a barbershop quartet version of God Only Knows in the mm-hmm. first like hour of gameplay. Yeah. That's I when you know, want that to be our first dance song. <laughs> that's when you know that's that's when you know that something's um you know up. Yeah. No, uh, I like um. The CCR song sung by hey, the... Hey, 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 don't spoil those things. Let people... Yeah, that, into... that one, don't spoil that, because yeah. that's a beautiful that is moment awesome. in the game. Yeah. And the fact that they stick... And the fact that they stick a video of the two voice actors um, rehearsing it in the credits as well. Well, that's a different song, but yeah. That, that is... is that, yeah. And you can miss that moment, and I feel sad yeah. for anybody who misses that moment. Um and this what what a terrible way to talk around something on a podcast um <laughs> so the atmosphere of this world is amazing i played it on xbox because i was running it from redbox so i played through the entire game for a grand total of four dollars um which i'm pretty happy about um but that means it didn't look quite as beautiful as i bet it did for you you played on pc quinn pc yeah max settings oh man the game looks amazing. I mean, it, it looks amazing on an Xbox, so I can only yeah. imagine what it looks like on it, PC. Honestly, well, I think it is pretty much the best. Like visually, it's probably the best game I've played this year so far. Like graphics-wise, or from a visual? I mean, just the art design. Art style. It, and, and art graphics. style is incredible as well. I think they've done. But then again, I was always a big fan of the. Um, not necessarily like the art direction, but also just like the setting design in both Bioshock 1 and 2, because I really liked the idea of an art deco city under the sea. So the fact that they then basically just did, you know, a sort of, I don't know, is it sort of Edwardian, um, Victorian era city in the sky, you know, sold. It's weird, yeah. like Ameri- the, the era, like 1920s American exceptionalism. I don't know what the design, what, what the, you know, the actual architectural design movement that goes with that is. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I think it looks like more Edwardian than Victorian, but I think Victorian was a very uh, British thing. I would say like a lot of like what Washington, D.C. was based on. That sort of like a classical uh, style with Roman, co- Roman columns and pillars everywhere. There's not a hmm. lot of Roman columns and pillars. I would well, no, say. but they're, uh, they're, I would say it's very nicely designed. Yeah. And the, like, the, the way in which it executes like various – obviously um, – the the obvious one is it pokes a lot of fun at um like kind of like American 
uh, right-wing attitudes as expressed through the lens of a game set in 1912. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the funny thing is those, those attitudes like, were just basically uh, commonplace for the time period. Like the way you, they, people would openly speak about immigrants and you wouldn't have to use it in code. You don't have to be like, our America, you can just say, we don't want those poor, we don't want the browns here, those, those dirty brown people here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think the the, the way it, the way it, some of it just like it doesn't shy away from anything. Um, you know, it, it kind of accepts that the nineteen the one ninth the the world of nineteen twelve was a different time. But number two, you're basically going into the city of some of the most hardcore racists on the planet. Um, you know, to the extent where the people of Colombia, or at least the, the sort of main population of Colombia, worships three founders of the United States. You'll notice that there's one missing. It's pretty much not hard well, to figure which um, one. He's not a founder, technically. Um, no, but it's, it's pretty obvious that it would, you know of which one they've cut out. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Was that supposed to make sense to anybody that hasn't played the game? No. Okay. Okay, well, basically, think about it this way. There are, what, there are four people who are generally associated with being very um, close to the sort of founding of America, right? Um, okay, who are they? Well, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Now, uh, in a city full of hardcore racists, which one of those is the odd one out? Um, whichever one likes to sleep with black women. No, I was going to say the one, the one responsible for signing the Emancipation Proclamation, maybe? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. He well. was quite some time later. Anyway, we, yeah, I know, we, I know, we really but, shouldn't talk about this. Yeah. Um, because it, it, it quickly they, gets into ruining one of my favorite parts of the game. Um, yeah. So let's not do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So we covered combat, we covered graphics, covered the music. What else is there to talk about? Um, of all the, yeah, nothing without spoiling, really, because the story is what's next, and that is crazy. The story and, is something you basically have to experience. Yeah. Uh, what I will say is it it does a very good job. The opening sequence does do a very good job of basically playing into, um, basically, uh, the, the the opening of Bioshock Infinite is virtually identical to the opening of Bioshock 1, sort of, without the plane crash, but everything else. Mm -hmm. To the extent where um, when you are handed, um, like, even just the way in which um, the kind of camera, the camera and the, like, the sort of player's view reacts to the box that you're handed to in the boat in Bioshock Infinite is very similar to the box that's held up by the main character Bioshock 1 just before the plane crashes. And then there's a lighthouse. It, it, you know, it, there's um, there's a lot of um, like very careful referencing going on, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's exceptionally well crafted in that respect. Master Chief asks a question I can't answer. It's just System Shock Two, but not as good because I didn't play that. No, I'd probably rate this higher than System Shock 2. Yeah, I went there. All right. <laughs> wow, the chat room. Okay. Um, yeah, not much more to say without spoiling, and we're not going to do a spoiler cast. 
it's yeah if we do a spoiler cast it would be something that we have to do in like two months time and we yeah. have to say quite quite because I, I think there has been a lot of very interesting discussion like in casts on the internet recently about the ending and some of the themes explored by bioshock infinite i think they have done a very good job of creating a story that at the very least people will want to talk about mm-hmm. um ken ken is it ken levine ken the, levine yep yeah, he should be credited, I think, for creating a very well-crafted story. A lot. Yes. So, and <laughs> I, it, does Bioshock Infinite have an art book? Because if it does, I should probably get it. I don't know. Let's see. Um, Bioshock. They have that crazy $150 edition, right? The Songbird yeah. edition. Which, now that I've played the game, I kind of want. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, is that why you were asking me if I was ever going to play the game last night? No, that's not. I'm not going to buy it. It's too much, but it's also I saw really the reviews for it. Cool. It doesn't seem that nice. The statue? Oh, no, there is, a, there is an art, of, the art of Bioshock Infinite, which comes out. Art of Columbia comes with the, with the crazy edition as well. Yeah. 64-page collectible mini edition of the oh, Art of Bioshock. It, you, yeah, oh. it's, it's just a standard horizontal So wait and, get the, wait and get the real one that comes out later. The re- no, no, the real one's out, actually. Oh, to this. from Dark Horse? So, and it's only, 23, it's only $23. That's cool. Yeah. And, yeah, no, it's, it's literally there in stock on Amazon. That's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good deal, actually, $23 for that. But, yes. Ah, very good. Strongly recommended. Particularly if you have a PC and like first-person shooters. Uh, it does. I play it on Xbox. It, it plays great on anything. It just play it. Period. So, um, all right, let's move on. Uh, that's all I played this week, really. So, Manny, did you get in something other than Devil Summoner, or I didn't play more? anything this week. Okay, uh, Hannah, what'd you play? <laughs> Um, I ended up playing a bunch of stuff, actually. Um, I sort of got bummed at Pixel People on my phone because I was running out of land really fast and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized that I'd unlocked the hotel, which lets me put people out, which lets me take people out of houses. So what I've been doing is I've replaced all of my smaller houses with much bigger houses. And it's been freeing up, like, I think I freed up 20 pieces of land. And a building takes no more than four. Some buildings take one, so it's it's a huge amount of space that I've been able to free up. And so I've been able to continue progressing in the game, and I've been really excited about it. So destroy all the things! Um, The only downside is is to do that, it requires um, real money currency which is very very slow to accrue unless you're paying for it so i don't know i would i'd i'd be okay investing a dollar 99 in the game because i feel like i've gotten more than two dollars of entertainment out of it but you're so adamantly against it that well it's true it's a good investment you'll see great return on the money you put in you're being sarcastic no, you said investment. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just no. <laughs> I don't know. This is something that I think maybe we're gonna have to talk about like another time, or the people in the forums can give some feedback because it's like you and I approach paying for microtransaction games in two very different ways. Because it's like 
for me, it's it's a value thing. Have I put a dollar ninety nine worth of have I gotten a dollar ninety nine worth of fun out of this game? Yes, so I don't mind paying that. But you're like, no. I, not for things that are fleeting and disappear. Like that's just that's that's the scam of free to play. Consumables yeah. are the scam. Like if it's a if it's a coin doubler or something like that, that's totally different. Right, but I mean, here's the thing: is is one of the things that I want to spend the dollar ninety nine on is unlocking a new gene, and that isn't something fleeting. No, but you're spending the not on unlocking the gene. You're spending it on the currency. You're spending it on the consumable, which means you can get it on game in game, and then it'll be an even bigger accomplishment when you finally get it. Oh no, but. I mean, one of the great things that come out of GDC was all these talks on how to do freemium right or what's wrong with it or why developers hate it. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, the whales. So many people are getting into that. And it's just, you say she's she's going to feel more accomplished, but not at, like that may be true in a traditional game, but not in a game where they skewed the curve so much that the, you're incentivized to, to pay money. I mean, basically, it's either she's paying with a lot of her time or her money. And yeah. either way, she's paying. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I just want to speed things up a little. Plus, I mean... Yeah, but where does it end? That's the problem with these. Oh, uh, when I pay $1.99. No, but then there'll be another gene or another hotel that's added in the next update. And then yeah, you need another $1.99. at that point, I'll evaluate whether it's worth investing another $1.99. Investing again. I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. That... To me, it is an investment because it's time that I spend enjoying a game. All right. No, but I find it weird that I mean, you say it's how, I how often do we have the argument of a $60 game versus a $20 game and how much of an investment that is? Mm-hmm. This isn't any different. I just find it strange that, that you said, like, uh, I, I just seems weird in general to think of a game like, I wish I could speed this up. Because it seems like the fun should be, like, every moment you spend with it. Not yep. like, oh, I wish I could speed this up yeah. to get to the fun. I mean, it's and a that's, little that's where I feel like I'm being taken advantage game. of. You're having to pay to unlock the fun, essentially. And that's no good to me. I mean, the thing with the missions that I'm doing to unlock these genes is I've already done all of the things you can't fast track. You can't pay for all of the other things that I've done to complete the mission. The only thing left is the 30 U's. The other thing that it gets me is when you say things like it's a good investment when, you know, really there are a lot of other games that don't have this terrible curve in them that would be better investments. There's, okay, now that's the other thing that I think about when I want to try to pay for a game. Is the game forcing me to pay for it? The answer, honestly, is no. It's certainly encouraging me, and I think that's a good game design, and I can appreciate that. Oh, she's drunk the Kool-Aid, Manny. (sighs) I work with microtransaction games. (laughs) Well, you you should go play Scarlet Blade. Master Chief tells us that there's a consumable in Scarlet Blade that lets you unseal your lingerie. Ugh. (laughs) I mean, there are badly done... You know, Chris, that there are badly done phone games. And you know there's badly done microtransaction games. Yeah, and I think this is one of them. (laughs) I think the two best. The two best right now have to be... I don't think so at all. I mean, Chris, if it was... I, I mean... If it was a badly done microtransaction game, I would have been forced into this corner within the first 15 minutes of playing the game. No, I think that any game that, that ramps up the curve and gets you to the point where you need feel like you need to spend money in order to keep having fun with the game. I don't feel like I need to spend money. I feel oh. like I want to spend money. And if I ever because, felt like I needed to spend money, I'd take it up, the though? game off my phone. But you want to spend money because of why. That. You want to spend money because of why. 
two reasons. I like the game and I want to do this. You want to, what do you, what does that mean? You want to do what? You want to skip playing the game? I want to unlock, huh? You want to skip playing the game is what you're, is what you're saying. You want to skip playing the game and get right to the unlock, right? No, because if I wanted to skip playing the game, then I'd spend a hundred you and skip the mission completely. I've done everything that I can that just takes time. That takes interaction with the game. Mm-hmm. You guys act like spending a dollar ninety nine and skipping playing the game. It's not. I've done all of the play the game things that are part of this mission. It skips waiting fifty days. <laughs> right. Um. I mean, there are wa- there are other ways to get used in the game. They're just all time consuming. Mm-hmm. So it skips playing the game. No. <laughs> I was going to say, like, the best examples I've seen of microtransactions right now probably League of Legends, Team Fortress 2, and Planetside. Maybe less so Planetside, but at least, like, League of Legends. Like, you can, legitimately, you can play those games and get full experiences and get everything you want out of them without ever paying a dollar. Mm-hmm. And ever feeling like you really have to. But then it gets. Some, for the most part, I would think. Maybe less so Planetside 2. But then you, because you're so invested in that community, like, you want to give the people at Riot Games a tip. So, you know, like, oh, I like this class a lot. I really like, oh, that new skin is nice. Or I'll buy this character. Yeah, sure, I'll toss them five bucks. Why not? I, I, I think that's a little bit more easy. That's easier for me to swallow. I also think you're a hypocrite, Chris, because how much money did you spend on Sword of the New World? How much did he spend on Sword of the New World? A lot. Please tell. What, for what, though? What did he end up getting? And a lot of that was for skipping playing the game. Because there's stuff you could have earned and stuff you could have traded for with in-game currency that you just bought. Yes. Okay. Just wanted you to acknowledge you re- that. You realize Here that's you an American political-style argument, right? Where people can't change opinions and therefore they should be crucified for the opinions they held in the past? <laughs> No, I mean, I just think this, it irritates me because it feels like a goose and gander thing, right? Well, I, I, I've changed my opinion on free-to-plays, and I feel like I'm taking, being taken advantage of on them, and so I don't treat them the same now. And plus, if you're really going to crucify me, you should be focusing on Book of Heroes. Where, <laughs> where I broke down one night. money on currency again? No, that was uh, the one time I told you. Ugh. Yeah. You spent a lot of money. That night, yep. <laughs> My goodness. You people spend so here, here's like, the problem, day. people, in case you're wondering. To spend this money in Pixel People, it's tied to my account, so she's spending my money. So that's why she's trying to, to argue this with me before anybody Chris, says... you better get oh, used to it, though. Just get used to it right now. <laughs> and I mean, here's the thing that drives me crazy. Go to the damn I'll- store and buy a gift card and put it on the account and spend it. I don't care then. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I often give you money and you get mad. You get even madder and say no. Well, because I'm trying to prepare you for a future where we don't have this sort of hemorrhaging of our budget into free-to-play games. Chris, it's $2. In this time? Yeah. When was the last time I asked you to spend $2 on a game? Um, A couple days ago. No, it was yes. two months ago. No, a couple days ago. I got the... Oh. It, Dollar twenty four receipt just showed up on my credit card yesterday. What? Yes. I didn't buy anything. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. 
Okay, we're gonna have to talk about this after the show. No joke, I did not buy something. The show is taking a very interesting turn. Just, <laughs> just saying that right now. Back to my now playing. Yes. Um, so I've also I also um, finally finished uh, Royal Envoy, and I have the collector's edition. Although it doesn't really get me much, besides I don't know, like eight extra missions or whatever. So this is sort of. This is the kind of game that drives Chris insane because it's like StarCraft without the pressure. What's it called again? Uh, Royal Envoy. Okay. So basically, you're a carpenter or you're a, a city planner uh, in a kingdom that's about to have a rainy season. You have to go prepare everybody for it. So it's it's a time management thing where it's like, you have a bunch of you need to build buildings like houses and sawmills and in order to gain resources to complete the goals for the level so sometimes the goals are money related sometimes the goals are material related sometimes the goals are building specific things so yeah it's a neat little game um and yeah it's it's puzzle with i don't know time management I just don't describe this genre well at all. I actually have another one that I found and start and booted up, and I'm probably going to play it this week. Fate of the Pharaoh. I forgot I had it actually. So and beyond that, um, I bought and played and beat DLC Quest. Yay! <laughs> uh, which is particularly ironic considering the long conversation that we just had. So DL Quest is, well, DLC gone completely buck wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't ever use real money. You use all the in-game currency. But I mean, you need to buy the ability to do everything. You need to buy the ability to jump. You need the ability to um, go to go left instead of just going right. You need to buy the music. You need to buy um, maps and DLC packs. And you can buy zombies and... Um, unfortunately, I made the mistake of buying the sexy NPC costume pack, which put everybody, and I mean all of the guys, in bikinis, which was super creepy. So, yeah, fun little game. It's not terribly long, I'm like two or three hours. Does it teach a lesson about DLC? No. Uh. It's funny. And yeah, uh, other than that, I played two more episodes of Law & Order Legacies, which is Telltale meets Law & Order, and has nice flavor from both of those sides. And then, oh, I've been playing Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. Yay. So, did I talk about this last week? No. No, because there was no podcast last week. There wasn't? There Wait. was, but the game wasn't out. Oh, okay. Okay. Really? I don't know. Did you? You did. I don't. What year was it? You <laughs> went. Okay, last week was Easter. You went home on Easter. Oh, you didn't I, play the game until you went home. Yeah. Until I went home. Yeah. Okay. So it's a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon game. It's got just a bunch of really nice little benefits to it. So it is um, a. <laughs> I'm not gonna say roguelike. It's a dungeon crawler, and. Um, Anytime you move, the enemies move. So if you don't move, neither do the enemies. So there's a little less pressure on you. Um, it's Pokemon, so it has all of the type advantages and disadvantages. 
Um, the nice thing is, is when you start the game, you're able to choose who your character is and who your companion character is, um, which lets you set up really nice dynamics. So I'm an Axew, and my companion is a Smugleaf. And you can choose from like Axew and Snivy and Oshawott and Tepig and Pikachu. And I think there's one more that I'm not remembering. So you can actually have a pretty big variety of of uh, character party building. And the other thing that you can do is um, as you are defeating Pokemon within the dungeons, they may offer to join you. And the cool thing is, is um, even though even the ones that you don't bring into the dungeon, they earn experience. So they're never left behind your party, which is nice because inside of dungeons, there are um, barriers to um, bonus areas of the dungeons that you need to bring a specific type to defeat. So, for example, there might be an ice wall and you need a fire type to melt it. And there could be smog and you need a ghost type to blow it away. Um, so it's nice because it does encourage you to mix up your party a little bit. And um, the other cool thing that they do is there's a big city building aspect to this game. So you're building paradise and you unlock regions inside of paradise. I think there's 12 and inside of each region, you can build up to four locations. And locations are everything from um, gambling establishments to um, dojos that help you train your abilities to um, vendors of specific items like seeds and orbs and berries. And yeah, um, the last thing that I really like about this game is that you can sort of, um, if you don't have a lot of time to play, you could sort of take a break from the main story. And instead of playing the main story dungeons, you can do missions. And that's how you get the materials to build um, the stuff in Paradise. And it's nice because the missions are really short. They're like 15 minutes tops. So if you only have a few minutes to play, like on the bus or whatever, you flip into one of these missions and you do it and then you're done. So I've gotten a lot of play out of it so far. I think I've played about 15 hours this week. And I'm really excited to keep playing it. So, Axew's level 26. Woohoo! I would like to be able to evolve. But I can't yet. Oh, okay. You and I have dragon. three evolutions in my party, which is very exciting. It's a big party. Uh, yeah, I think I have five pages of Pokemon in Paradise right now. Pokemon so. in Paradise. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, what if... Is that everybody? That's everybody. Ooh, feedback time. Yep. First off from Quinn, and this is really just me wanting to ask Quinn. Quinn, can you yeah. explain this stuff about question mark, question mark, question mark difficulty in Zoltan's segment last week? So, yeah, uh, Zoltan, when Zoltan mentioned it last week, um, he made a joke about, uh, well, the unknown difficulty in Tales of Vesperia. Um, which is, I can't remember if it's unlocked from the start, but it's basically the game's fourth difficulty level above hard, or whatever the hell the third difficulty level is in Vesperia. It's been a while since I've checked. Uh, basically, um, unknown difficulty um, is, uh, well, evil. Um, it applies something like somewhere between a, a 3.5 to 4 times multiplier to all enemy stats. Um which makes a number of uh, 
challenges in the game quite difficult, as you can probably imagine. Um, my reference to it in the post is the game's... Uh, the PS3 version contains a very nasty optional super boss called Spiral Draco, which on Unknown is probably the hardest boss in the Tales series bar none. Um, and I have been repeatedly attempting to do the... Um, Team Arena Battles, which are also one of the PS3 exclusives, where um, rather than just take an individual character through the Colosseum, you take a party of characters, or you try and take a party of characters through. I've cleared it on uh, normal and hard, or whatever the hell the hard difficulty is called, uh, but I can't clear it on unknown because I get my face stomped, even though I'm at maximum level with some of the best equipment in the game. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. Mainly because the the second to last arena battle contains four very nasty opponents who do very very nasty things to you. Well, including one who um, like can basically it, it, one of the four you fight against is the character Barbatos from Tales of Destiny Two, who counters uh, who really doesn't like you using items, and he basically executes a very powerful combo uh, like counter-attack against any character that uses an item, like, almost regardless of what the item is. I think the only one you can get, the only item you can get away with using is the hourglass, and that's because it freezes time. And you mm. can't do anything. But unless you've got him in the middle of a massive long combo chain, and one of your characters uses an item, he'll on, on unknown difficulty, he'll basically just stroll over to them and kill them. Like, outright. He does so much damage on, on unknown. So you basically have to go through that entire fight without using items. And when one of the other bosses happens to spam uh, its stasis effects, that can get very difficult. So, yeah. Okay. That's basically the explanation. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, let's see. Next feedback letter comes from Master Chief himself says, here's a question for the podcasters. With Scarlet Blade going into open beta, I can't help but wonder how one would go about marketing a sex appeal game to the non-straight male market. We have at least one lady and a few open-minded individuals on the podcast, so here goes. If you had a crap ton of money in the directive of making a soft porn game for the ladies, how would you go about it? Localize awesome. all the games that already exist in Japan. Say what? Localize? localize all the games of this genre that already exists in Japan. We've seen one Otome game basically in the last year, and that was from Axis. Mm. Came out on Valentine's Day last year. Hakuoki? Yeah. In fact, I think I asked you to buy it for me, and you refused. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like something I'd do. <laughs> I was going to agree with like a lot of what Ocelot said. In general, actually make game for uh, people who aren't, you know, straight, straight males from the age of like 18 to 24 or whatever, you know, actually have women making women that women would want to play in these kind of genres, you know, like I could just say, just aim them at women or aim them at gay men. Or, I think, or I think that there's, there's, there's something there that confuses me though, which is with Kickstarter around, not to mention the current climate within the tech community, you know, within like the general tech community is, um, I'm at least quite surprised that a development team of people who are specifically interested in making and marketing games towards women has not already turned up, yeah. like, on Kickstarter and raised a lot of money. Like, where are they? Yeah. If you mean, that's the thing, though. If you're going to make it, don't just make, like, a, a token game or 
don't be tone I deaf mean, about it. Actually, yeah, I mean, let the team know what they're, they're doing. There's stuff that exists. Like, I mean, stuff like ONS Scripter, which um, I, th- I believe like both the When They Cry uh, series were scripted in. Uh, it's a vi- you know it's a visual novel scripting engine and stuff like that. Um, it's not. <sighs> This is going to sound like amazingly ass ish of me, but it's not. In order to make the I, what the game that sort of um, Ocelot was suggesting, the kind of like uh, more narrative-based game, yeah, you know, I could potentially fit into the roles of things like visual novels. Something like ONS Scripter would not be difficult to set up a small team to use. What you really need is a really talented team of writers to make sure that you have something mm-hmm. there to market to people. I, the same is true if you're marketing to any demographic that isn't the usual sort of 18 to 30 male demographic. You know, if you're marketing specifically towards, say, I don't know, gay men, for example, you could need to have a team of good writers who know how to write stuff that they'd be that they'd be interested in. And hopefully, at least one gay man on the actual team, so it could be. <laughs> yeah, that would help. I, would, I mean, personally, I would prefer if if there was any game marketed towards gay men that it was not made entirely by. Um, Yaoi fanfic writers, because generally the stuff they write is absolutely yeah. it's like awful. a normal gay guy who has a normal job. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> yeah, because you know sometimes you, people complain like, "Oh man, why don't we write like more better women? Why aren't there more female protagonists?" And, like I can imagine like a, a studio full of dudes going like, "Well, women protagonists are hot right now. Let's draw it. Let's make one. <laughs> Let's force her in here and just being completely oh, yeah, toned down." I'm, I'm quite surprised that hasn't happened either. Although I pretty sure i saw at least a couple of comments like addressed towards tomb raider in that vein yeah but they weren't like the majority or anything it was you know the usual set of sort of minor nutballs that usually crop up an issue like this but you know it's it's this i think i think it's kind of bothered me ever since finding out like um uh there was uh when i was at university there was one uh, woman on our programming side of the course, and there were something like three artists out of a class of something like 55. Um, when talking to her about it, though, it turns out that most of the crap that she'd gotten um, for picking programming, like programming games as a career choice, was mostly from female friends of her, in air quotes, who were, do- who were studying other university courses, mostly criticizing her for wanting to play in the boys' club in the first place. And I thought that was really weird. I mean, well, you know, that was my perspective on it anyway. But then again, I turn around and say that I think I was pretty much the only gay guy on that course. So, you know. You know, I would say is one small step towards that. Like, before we can get to the full-on sexualization of, the, uh, like, these just kind of games to tickle this. Like, how about stuff like Persona? Where like, a big focus of that game is dating people and just giving, like, and a game like that having... I know a lot of women play that game, and I'm sure they would have loved to have been able to choose a female protagonist for themselves and then go date a bunch of the guys who were in that game. You know, sort of just which give people more they, options. Which, which they did do when they made the uh, PS3, uh, sorry, the PSP version of Persona 3. Yeah. And gave so you know, just, having a female character who, gen, who arguably has a better story because she can better relate to one of the other male characters or something. I think that's how it worked anyway. It, the social links were different. I know that. I say that's the first step. Is just like in a lot of games where romance is a big deal, give women a chance or 
you just give give them a chance i don't know it just seems like a weird place to jump into like what would like a good thing is like what or do well, you I mean, assume that the audience will find it yeah i mean i honestly am surprised though that a unless i've missed it because i don't browse kickstarter a lot or sites like kickstarter i'm quite surprised that a development team interested in making games for women in that respect hasn't already shown up with a game idea because mm-hmm. i mean chances are they'd get a lot of money for it well does sex appeal work on a female gamer um yeah but you yeah don't, of course it you does don't play, but you also yeah, but you it's don't gonna be different have, right absolutely yeah, it's a, also, exactly it's a different kind of sex appeal than what we want than just like <laughs> bulging things in your face all the time i mean or, this like, is something physics. that this is something that's been brought up in some of the core stuff that we've seen in small group, Chris, where mm-hmm. it's like men react visually and women react emotionally. And we know that's not universally true. Right. I mean, if you put a really hot beefcake in a video game, there's going to be women who are like, sign me up. It's a hot dude. Wait, what What hot beefcakes are you looking at? I don't know. Stop. In theory. Yeah. I wouldn't say so much emotionally, but maybe a little bit smart. I would say maybe a, t- a little bit smarter. Mm-hmm. Or like more cerebral, I would or, say. How about just more like, like Fifty Shades of Grey, Manny? <sighs> there is nothing. I don't know if there's anything cerebral about, about Fifty Shades of well, Grey. But I mean, that's that's appealing to this market, right? Uh, no, I don't think no? so. Okay. No, huh. I think it's a like the I think a, like a lot of what Fifty Shades of Grey was like suppressed suburban women. Not really. Is what gamers. sort of awakens okay. something in them. But like, like I don't like. I feel like a like a female gamer. I think in a lot of ways, think of her as someone who's just like you and likes the same things. But then we'll find like the way we feel like, oh wow, this is a really sexy woman because she's small. <laughs> she's smart and driven, or she's a powerful character, or she, you know, she has big personality. You know, the kind of stuff like, wow, she's a strong female. That's very sexy. I think transfer that, but like sort of like, well, oh look at this guy. He's caring. He's smart. He's strong. He's good looking. He's funny. He has a good wit. And you sort of build a game around men like that. And right. I think women would flock to that. Like, you know, hmm. funny, smart, attractive men. Nathan or Drake. driven. Huh? Nathan Drake? Honestly, he's a, he's a smart. I, I bet you if Nathan Drake was a real guy, women would love him. Yeah. But that game <laughs> doesn't funny. appeal to them, right? Well, but it's not really. See, That's here's still not my the question: kind of, like, I'm going to date and or have sex with these people, kind of game either. So, or do, does not... the does the trappings not just the trappings need to change, but do the gameplay mechanics need to change as well? Are we just talking about straight dating games, or are we talking stuff like Scarlet Blade, which is all just like eye candy, but we just transfer that eye candy for women? Well, I mean, the preface here is like, how do you do? Well, I guess it's anything. Um, I'm thinking like an MMO, like the gameplay would have to change. Like, how do you have a Oh, I don't even know. I don't know. It'd be interesting just to see, like, instead of, like, topless or women in lingerie, it could just be a bunch of guys, really strong, oiled-up guys. But I, I guess I'm just wondering, that. do the gameplay mechanics also skew towards the male market in, most, in like, every game made now? Um, and so they need to change, too. clarify what a male game mechanic is? Uh, game, Call of Duty Lots, lots of games. penetration. I'm saying that the game styles... Whoa, whoa, not- whoa, 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 whoa. No, I don't think so. Yeah? What the hell does that mean? That 
these games are manufactured for 18 to 34 year old males and that not not only do the trappings of the game necessarily need to change but maybe some of the gameplay styles need to change if like you're you going mean, to like actually target, if you're going to target 18 to 34 women do you not make a different game mechanic than you do in a game targeting 18 to 34 males what makes you think that the game mechanics aren't appropriate for women I'm looking at the fact that what sells right now and who's selling to. Doesn't it seem that might be worth looking into whether or not certain mechanics sell to to each sex differently? That's a better argument. Thank you. Okay. I don't know. I think there's this you, misconception. You originally that a lot came of across the... Chris as girls don't play shooters. Well, girls do play shooters. Okay, thank girls, you. Girls play all these games. Um, yeah, the the only, is, yeah, I think the only the only game genre in which I've seen an uh, like an overwhelming gender bias is the MOBA arena. But I think that you know, the uh, sorry MOBA genre because and I think that may be half down to the fact that the community is a pile of shite. Well, it, but there are women playing that too. Um, oh yeah, but I mean, League of Legends did when the League of Legends reduced produced their infographic, their uh, male to female um, gender ratio was like ninety two to eight. <laughs> So, so my question is, you know, is that genre perhaps more generally appealing to males than women? And therefore, no, if you're going, like, if when you're making a decision like I'm going to target um, a a female predominant um, audience, um, do I need to not only change the trappings of the sex appeal thing that I'm going for, but do I also need to make changes like do I need to choose genres that I normally wouldn't think would work on a mass market appeal? Because now, since I'm targeting mass market women instead of mass marketing men, uh, maybe adventure games all of a sudden are completely different or more appealing. Or it, I, I hate to pull out a genre here because I don't know. I don't want it to sound like I'm stereotyping women as liking certain genres. But like, what would maybe be non-traditionally effective in the mass market all of a sudden becomes effective because instead of targeting mass market males, we're targeting mass market females. Does that make sense? I get you. I I think in the case of um, LOL and I think StarCraft 2 is that all of the professional players are dudes. Yeah. And there is female players in those leagues, but we never see them. Mm-hmm. And when we do, it's somebody's girlfriend who's a cheerleader on their friggin' bench. Yep. And I think that seeing that can be really discouraging. I think that it creates an unsubtle pressure that these sort of games aren't for girls. And I also like the idea where it's like games that are for women. It's like women only like to play uh, item finding games. <laughs> item hunt games. Women play hidden object games. Guys don't. That's play all them. they play: hidden object games and and they like and to Facebook. Farm. Yeah, and see, that's why I didn't want to start picking genres because I don't want to make that statement. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I think a lot. Of, I said like with. I think with like something like Bioshock Infinite, that didn't need combat for any. Any no, nobody needed combat. But I think like anyone, any person could appreciate that world and the message they're trying to say because yeah. it's like, just smart and cerebral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think there's plenty of. It's funny thing is not even just women who are getting scared. I, I know like if you read a, a editor in chief. Uh, Michael Cunningham, his twi- Twitter feed was just basically saying he really loves the world of Bioshock Infinite, but he hates F- these kind of FPS games, so he just stopped playing. Oh, man, he should have put on baby mode and just gotten through it. It's not that long. Even, even on easy mode, he's just like, I just doesn't like this kind of gameplay. But, but he, he wishes he could spam sit there and Y. All he has to do is spam Y, get to the end of the combat, and then it's more exploration. Ah, uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> so... I, yeah. This this might be relevant to the conversation. Is um, What do you think the gender split is 
in Harvest Moon fandom? Like out of 10 people, how many do you think are guys and girls? I would think it's seven girls, three guys. Close. Six girls, four guys. Okay. One cup. So. Hmm? <laughs> One cup. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just uh, Chris slightly un- Chris slightly underestimated the uh, the amount of um, guys who are actually interested in farming. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you realize who introduced me to the Harvestman series? A guy. Yeah, it was Michael. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if some of that is also the marketing, like the Japanese style marketing. It's a cute girl on the cover, like really cutesy art style. You have big huggable cows and chickens. Mm-hmm. Sort of sending the message. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that, this that, is a girl that gap. I, I, what's gender, your, the my, gender gap flips in Japan. My question is, what's your point? Um, I thought that whole point was I the marketing. Right? If you're going oh. to target towards um, towards a female demographic, yeah. there are good lessons to learn for games that are already successfully doing that. Yes. The funny thing is, I don't think like anything in Harvest Moon is inherently, inherently like something that a, a, a woman isn't. would want to play. And with I a man. think that is in part why it's successful. I want to know what the numbers are on Persona, because that's it's weird. I would say they would be high female. Because I mean, the idea, one of the idea of genres would be like relationship building games would theoretically skew more female, right? Just based on no, I think guys like the idea of having a virtual girlfriend. A no, not a, not a virtual girlfriend. I, I guess I don't view Persona as a dating game. Um, it basically is though. But it's a, a lot. You're only dating like three or four of the people out of the twelve relationships you're having. The, but a lot of them like are the just core, friendships. But it's okay. still like that core dating game mechanic. Of, okay. Do they like you? The, the you know the up down. Did they give them the right gift? Did I hang out with them at the right time? Right, and that's the part that I would think that would be appealing. I guess. All right. Maybe not. That's very appealing to men. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, there are lots of guys who'd be like, oh, I'm going to date her so bad. <laughs> I'm talking about the non-dating ones. Ah. All right. So we don't have an answer because if we did, I we'd probably that, be I, making the game and making a lot of money. <laughs> how about this? Just don't pander. Don't pander to the lowest common denom- denom- denominator for why? women. Or why? For- it works for men. So why not do no. it for women? Because it's it's insulting when it's done for us too. It I is mean, insulting, just... but this is what's driving the business, right? <sighs> well, look how far down you can go on the pandering totem totem pole with a with a Scarlet Blade. I mean, until we stop doing it, uh, until people stop buying the games, they're not going to stop pandering. I just think it's weird that they're not doing more female pandering, or are men just a better target for pandering? Period. <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> All right, we should move on, shouldn't we? Please write in. Let's 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 keep this discussion going on the forums. We got we got more show to do. Uh, dear RP Gamer staff of Charisma Plus One, longtime listener, first time writer. In light of the recent release of Etrian Odyssey Four, and what I see seems or excuse, and what I think seems to be a resurgent in dungeon crawlers i wanted to say a word about the wizardry series specifically wizardry 7 crusaders of the dark savant as that entry is the pinnacle of the series and hopefully elicit a comment or two from any of the staff who have played the games well let's stop here has anybody played wizardry games the closest i've come is class of heroes okay so 
sorry. So here he goes on to say, I, of, I often see wizardry evoked as one of the classic examples of the dungeon crawler, e.g. in comparison to the Etrain games. The thing is the latter games, 6 and 7 mainly, the more modern... S- Eight is its own story, were hardly straightforward dungeon crawls. Crusaders is a dungeon crawler in the sense that there is mapping, dungeon elements, and random encounters, even in towns, but is hardly claustrophobic or linear. Crusaders contains a massive open world, an elaborate story, rival NPC parties who will loot treasures and confront you, and one of the richest and most unique settings I've seen to date in any RPG. I could point to the strongly defined races populating planet Gurdia, where the game is set, the unusual mix of swords and sorcery and sci-fi, the haunting adult writing and themes, or the best MIDI sound effects ever, but I just can't do justice to the ambiance. I should add, try to play the original Wizardry 7 as opposed to the Gold Edition, which has a gross sort of Windows 95 aesthetic. Um, I'm also I'm always supply, uh, surprised by how few RPG enthusiasts have actually played the game or even know much about it. I put it right up there with w- Planescape, Baldur's Gate, Final Fantasy VI, Fallout, yet I never see Wizardry discussed alongside those games. Really, it's every bit as epic. Uh, okay. Um, and there's a reason for that. Because it became inversely popular in North America to Japan. In North America, it nosedived. The interest in it just slowly petered off. And in Japan, it skyrocketed. Do you know why it nosedived in the U.S.? No idea. Hmm. Came out in Wizardry 7, the one he's talking about, um, came out in 1992. Um, And here's... Let's see, 7... Final Fantasy VII came out in 97. So I, I think the biggest reason that you're not seeing this is, um, well, eh, all right. No, because he's comparing to Planescape and Baldur's Gate, which are highly praised now. I don't know. Why did those never catch on here? Why did Wizardry never catch on here? Mm. Um, wasn't there a bunch of Wizardry games that were made only in Japan as Wait, well? Baldur's Gate was 98. Planescape Torment was... 99. Oh, there's your answer. Um, Wizardry 7 was like seven years too early. Is what it seems like. All these other games, every single one he lists here um, just came out a lot later. I don't think the market was there, and especially not for PC games. Except Final Fantasy 6. That came out in what, 95? 96 here? Hmm. But I just don't know. The, The PC market People who played PC games back in 92, it's such a small market, isn't it? Especially to get people talking about it now. Well, that's like back when 100, selling 100,000 copies of your PC game was a, was a great yeah. success. Yeah. Hmm. But people still talk about things like Zork and stuff, so I don't know. I, I have to think that some of the market things is, is affecting this. Um, eh, sometimes stuff like this happens. Why is yeah. Monster Hunter like basically a joke here? Yeah. Eh, just it's, it's a good point. Different cultural tastes. Mm. I just it just didn't catch fire, my friend. Hey, why did Psychonauts you know review so well and sell so poorly? <laughs> it happens sometimes. Yeah, it does happen. Uh, so anyway, you you put out your argument for it. Maybe people will give it a try, even if they have to try the gold version, though. He's recommending not to, and uh, see what they think about it. I still think that uh, dungeon crawlers are not defined by whether or not you're literally crawling a dungeon, but by the style of the exploration and uh, interaction with the game systems. Um, you know, first person um, pushing forward, left and right. You got four directions. You got a first person battle system. 
all the kind of things that he's described just seems like they're adding stuff on top of the traditional formula, but that's just my perspective. Love to hear some feedback from people in the forums. Um, next letter, dear antagonistic protagonists. I hope everything is having. Uh, I hope everyone is having a great weekend and enjoying the start of spring. Um, one starting off on a light note. Who's heard of this RPG gem? Sully, a very serious RPG. Anyone heard of that? Crickets. Nope. Sorry. Yeah, I have. Okay. Sorry, it's I a Vita JRPG parody, and um, it oh, it's only it has a boss battle only option, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So okay, the answer is Anna's heard about it. Number two, <laughs> so the Dragon Crown hype train has started to leave the station after the previous hype train had gotten delayed, derailed, and ultimately recalled for maintenance. Are you guys still excited about Dragon Crown? I wasn't excited about it in the first place. And the art style is just turning me off. Even though it's kind of like a Princess Crown successor, it's like, yeah. It's really the, weird. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's, it's like whatever steroids Chun-Li used on her legs got applied to everyone's bodies. Yeah. I, I'm not feeling it right now. Sorry, Sava. I wouldn't Did, want to. It's like a big like rock. Yeah. Ugh. Number three, discuss amongst yourselves. During their recent GDC talk, Sony developers discussed how social features may be much more directly integrated into the core gameplay of many of the PS4 games. For example, they said, imagine a heavy rain scene where a decision between discussing something with your son or getting a snack was accompanied by a pop-up display showing how many of your friends chose each option. Or in other words, ways we can justify having an always online requirement. (laughs) No, that's what the Microsoft's console doing, isn't it? All right. Yeah, well, it's literally, these are just justifications. I mean, did you see the Battlefield 4 uh, no, trailer? I did not. Well, you didn't miss much. But during the entire thing, there was stuff popping up in the right-hand corner. Like, what's his name? Did better in this scene. Or you shot more people this thing. That game oh, is they, so going to be Oh, they applied Autolog to Battlefield? Yeah. Nice. Even during, And this was during the single-player trailer. Yeah. So that gives you a good idea what to be expecting there, too. Hmm. Uh, uh, the thing is, what he's describing is kind of like take Walking Dead and just add the uh, people chose this versus this right right after this. It's basically autologue for everything. Yeah. Remember, I, why would you want that. it before you did it? You'd want the pop up after you make the decision, though, wouldn't you? Actually, I wouldn't want the pop up. Period. I mean, I thought the whole point of these David Cage games was that you're immersed in a cinematic experience. Yeah. Well, it, but they're just. So it wouldn't work in Heavy Rain, but it, did there you, are other games. Oh. Did you not like it in Catherine? They did do that in Catherine, didn't they? Yeah. yeah I like that in Catherine. I thought it worked but well But it was there. like in a weird scenario where you're, uh, you're, you're doing a pull I fit thematically in there. Hmm. But it like, six, for example, you're, like, you're at the end. It affects your ending. It's not just a pull. No, but I mean, imagine you're at the, you're at the, you're at the end of Bioshock or something. And it's, it goes, it pops up and says... Three other people on the list cried during this emotional scene. <laughs> How do you feel? Just like that. You know what I mean? Just like, come on, man. Would you like to take a survey? All right. Do you guys like this kind of always connected gameplay? Um, I like the ideas behind it, but I don't like it being used to justify an always on requirement. SimCity cough, SimCity. Yeah. Can you think of times you've really enjoyed it in games? Well, we just said Catherine. Would it make the RPG genre much better, or RPGs primarily solo experiences well two things i would say it works best an autolog works best in an actual game with an autolog like you know that sort of like uh 
it, it made a lot of sense of Burnout Paradise and uh, Forza Horizon is fantastic for that reason. I am never going to write off a concept without seeing someone try to execute it. Um, if someone wants to take and well, I, that's a weird statement I made, but if someone wants to try doing an autologue on RPG, I want to see it. I want to. Uh, I think it would make great it. sense in like uh, Demon Souls or Monster Hunter, oh, which yeah. are. But for goodness sakes, don't put that on my wasteland. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> You've only died four times to this Black Knight. Your friends died three hundred times. No, it makes and the whole game is about like the experience, like, like that whole ex- experience with other people. It makes perfect sense there. Mm-hmm. But oh, can you imagine Deus Ex? Like you're, uh, you make a choice about something, and like they're in the like, this guy shot him in the face. This guy snuck around. I was like, come on, dude, you just broke the immersion. Hmm. All right. Question four. So it's my wife's birthday this weekend. Happy birthday, Danica. Not that she'll ever listen to this, but one has to try. Now, she really doesn't like games. Hardly ever gets into them. I thought Super Mario 3D would be a hit. It wasn't. Ridiculous fishing on the iPad. No interest. Skyrim and its beautiful scenic views. Boring. I really can't seem to get her to like any game and or genre. If you had to try and recommend just one game to her, any platform, any genre, what would you recommend? I would recommend to her sitting down and watching some nice TV with her, going for a nice walk with her, or taking her out to dinner, or enjoying just quality time with your wife, because she obviously doesn't want to spend that quality time playing games. Hmm. John, any suggestions? Or did he uh, take off? No, I, I don't really think I have any decent sort of things I could say here. <laughs> it's like, why force it? She does she like Gundam or does she like Tales? If not, Quinn's out of ideas. <laughs> no, does, does she like Super Robot Wars? No, oh. no. Oh, okay. well, I would say it's totally okay for your significant other not to be, to have all the exact same hobbies as you do or like games. Should just make you a more well-rounded person because you have to talk about and do stuff that's not just gaming all the time. All right, Anna, are you going to take a stab or do you agree? Uh... I'm abstaining. Abstaining? What does that mean? You're not taking a side. Hmm. I don't know. I just seemed like this weird question that we always get, where it's like, uh, how do I get... But not we, but just the industry gets all the time. How do I get my significant other to play games? What can? What's the one thing I can do to trick her to play games or trick him to play games with me? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Maybe that's just the wrong question to be asking to begin with. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, all right. He, he says, don't say portal. <laughs> Apparently that didn't go well either. There are rumors that Microsoft might announce their next console before E3. And there are rumors that Sony might hold a second PS4 event sometime in late April or early May in order to take out all the air of Microsoft's announcement. Which rumors do you believe? Signed, Ocelot. So um, apparently there was supposed to be a Microsoft conference in April, and they couldn't get their business together. Really? Mm. Uh, I yeah, don't know. Those... the talk for a while was April, but you'd, I don't know. Who knows if the invites would have been sent out already? Right. That that, re- that recent case of Twitter foot and mouth on Microsoft's side, though. Oh wow. Oh wow. Should we cover that? No. Yeah. Go for it. Oh, but are we are we done with this part yet about what's Microsoft going to do? Oh, I, I have no clue. I think, like Anna's saying, like, it's, it's getting down to the wire. If they don't get something out by mid-April, you might as well just wait till 
I, the best I can see at this point is you might as well wait for like maybe a couple weeks or a, a week before E three and have like a big gala like they had for the connect thing like just, just a, and then go into like greater depth at the show. Mm-hmm. But even then, that's going to be so hot on the heels. It's going to be basically a pre E three event. So if they don't hurry up, no matter what's going to be pre E three entertainment gala. Yep, that's true. All right, no one care. Yeah, but and it's going to hurt them too. If they wait too long to be yeah. silent, yeah, silence is hurting them right now. Yeah. Mm. Um, Speculation's running rampant, and people especially just with, the- especially with yeah. this Twitter guy saying stupid crap about being All always right, online. Quinn, take it away. This is your story, right? Well, okay. I, I just find it amusing. There's something I've been keeping up with. The um, Adam Orth is um, the Microsoft Studios creative director. Um, who, after the recent rumors about the next Xbox requiring an always online internet connection, posted several uh, tweets on Twitter over his support for always online devices, which arguably contained a number of very questionable arguments. Yes. Didn't um, we talk about this at the start of the podcast? Yeah, we weren't recording. Oh, we weren't my recording. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. It's a funny thing. This was in response to Kotaku. said they have a source that's confirmed that it'll be always online, but it'll be able to handle a lost connection for two to like for two to three minutes. <laughs> wow, how generous! <laughs> you know, when my internet goes out, it's only ever two to three minutes. And uh, you won't be able to launch an app or start a game without an internet connection. Mm-hmm. That's the latest Kotaku rumor. And this guy's like, "Oh, I'm so sick of people whining about always on." You know, sometimes the power goes out. Does that mean I don't buy a vacuum? Because, yeah. It's totally, it's totally the same thing. Yep. Oh. So buy an Xbox next because it sucks more than a vacuum? Yes. <laughs> oh, you know, there's a big threat on NeoGAF. I'm just going to refer people to that. There's lots of funny yeah, gifts. I, I think it was like 177 pages this morning. I like the Bane gif. Um, where he's reading the manifesto from this guy. Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the, I think, yeah, the, cry, the crowning one for me was still the um, the fake Twitter account operated by, well, <laughs> some guy pretending to be Sony CEO Kaz Hirai, who basically said, uh, sorry, I couldn't tweet earlier about Adam Orth's comments about the, on, uh, the Xbox Always Online rumors my internet connection was down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. So- What's this Bane gift? Is it the one where he's standing on, standing on top of like the Batman tank and just giving a speech? Uh, yeah, that's like my favorite scene in the at the Capitol movie. steps, and then the <laughs> and the commissioner's watching on TV with um the and little kid from shocked. Third Rock. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna get played out so fast. But right now, I enjoy it. <laughs> I just, I just, I just picturing the look on his face, like he, you know, uh, ah, what's his name? I forget his name. Commissioner but Gordon? yeah, Bane, just, even with that mask on, he's so expressive, like, I just, and so condescending, and just, you just, I can totally picture that, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's see. Quick, Next. someone do a Bane voice. Yes. That's right, Mr. UPS man. Your punishment it's, will be more severe. Your punishment must be much more severe. You actually have to buy an Xbox. I will identify your items for free. Wait. Never mind. Stay a while and listen. (laughs) 
Yes. Uh, so next letter is Dear RPG Cast and Mecha Quinn, today I'd like to share something close to my heart with you. As you know, I make music. I started at the age of 17 and now at the age of 33, the first stage of my big rock star dreams will finally come true. I've written 10 beautiful melodic death metal songs and compiled them into a single album, which is being mixed and mastered by a professional as we speak. I expect to release it this summer. Today, I share with you a tale of giant robots from the album. This song was inspired by the Armored Core series. It is a case study of what happens when a mech pilot covers the emergency thruster switch with a poster of a hot girl wearing a school uniform and refuses to tear it down even when he's being locked onto by the enemy and is immobile due to overuse of energy weapons. For extreme video game music connoisseurs, see if you can find the Mega Man 2 reference and the Symphony of the Night reference during the guitar solos. This is Mechstall. Um, that's the name of the song. This is from Legendary Zoltan, in case you're wondering. We're going to take a short music break here, and then we will be back with the news. The personal must be Watch. Thank you. 
Thank you, Legendary Zoltan. That is very different than the sort of stuff we normally have on here. Um, oh, I've got that's going weird. All right, hey, so we're back. It's time for news. Let's talk about news. All right. Is anybody still here on the show with me? No. Hello. Hello. Did I lose everybody? Hello. <laughs> You, no way. You don't fall asleep during death metal. That doesn't happen. I'm Swedish. You're Swedish. <laughs> You're immune to death metal. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, let's uh, get into the news. Anna, you still here? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. you didn't talk. I don't know what was going on. Because I, uh, I wanted to embarrass you by you not being here. I'm disappointed. So instead, I will give you good news because you are here. You like good news? Yes, you like Shin Megami Tensei games, right? Mm-hmm. What if I told you Shin Megami Tensei 4 is coming out in summer 2013 and now is a price? Um, didn't we discuss this last week? No. Okay. I don't I'm think so. apparently having gnarly no, We discussed it during the week. week. No. So I'm torn because we've had this discussion about how much I like Persona and much of the SMT series, but don't actually like the SMT games. Yeah, so probably not a big deal for you. Well, it is and it isn't. I'm I'm certainly willing to try it because it looks good. Um, but there is going to be some controversy surrounding the price tag. Forty nine ninety nine for a 3DS game. I don't know of any other 3DS games that cost that much. 
Are there any? Um, and you know, it's weird, though. The, oh, go ahead, the other thing that was controversial oh. to start was um, originally it wasn't listed on Amazon.ca. So Canadians were trying to order it, and we're going to end up having to pay $65 for it. Mm-hmm. So some of my Canadian friends got very upset. So I was saying it's interesting, though, because if you look at the game, Remember when a couple weeks ago when I was talking about Theater of the Mind stuff for Shadowrun Returns and uh, and uh, Devil Summoner and how they used how they relied on like sort of pre-rendered backgrounds and sort of like text to describe a scene rather than having to render cutscenes or you know someone actually in the window shop cooking something. Well, the funny thing is I was watching a lot of those trailers recently for uh, SMT4, and that game looks incredibly low budget like really just a really really low budget game and this, I just wonder why charge it 50 bucks for it like is it because are you paying for the localization is it because you think that the that we're going to sell so few copies of this anyway that the people who will buy it will pay the extra inflated price tag um, yeah that's something that I think a lot of people have been discussing on Twitter and stuff is it's like they haven't said why it's $50 yet I think it's because they know that we're not going to sell a whole bunch of SMT4. So let's just raise the price um, and get as much as we can. I don't know. That's a tough one because the SMT series has really grown in popularity. Yeah, but this is like mainline series. Right. And this might be a lot of people's first mainline SMT game. I wonder. So why would you discourage them from buying it by charging more for it? That's kind of the question, isn't it? it right. I mean, that's, the that's the they most flipped on at the common, marketing meeting. Right. I mean, that's the most common argument that I'm seeing. But at the same time, um, I don't know. There's there's so many reasons why it could be $50. We're seeing it basically within two months of it being out in Japan. So are we paying for, in essence, getting it early? An expedited localization. Huh. Right. Are we paying for a much faster turnaround on localization? Because it means that they're working on the localization at the same time they're actually writing the game. You know, I will say, though, I, I'm I glad that Enix doesn't charge exists. us more for that. No, they just charge you more in general. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes me a little sad, though. I mean, I'm, I'm in a lot of ways. One, I'm happy that an SMT4 exists at all. But I'm a little sad that it's a low-budget DS game. Actually, a lot well, sad. How do we know it's low budget? Have you it, like look at the battle system? It's it's barely animated sprites. It's a there's a lot of it like just these kind of screw. Yeah, 2D. I'm disagreeing on this low budget idea. From what I saw, from when they went from SMT three to this, I I, I definitely say it looks especially like when it's you look a at Persona three D environments, isn't it? I'm talking about like look at the battle system. I they don't have any screens up with the battle system and like the fusion stuff they're doing a lot of tricks to get around having to animate a lot of stuff or draw extra th- mm. like like a lot of the portraits that they've used for years like the character design like the you know art design for monsters they've anim- animated them slightly to move around up and down and then they just made those the monster battles like if you look at the the battles with the 3D world it's this big juxtaposition where it looks like almost it looks like a fragmented it looks like two different games at the same time like you could have st- taken this battle system and easily inserted it into persona like one of the early personas or even to a strange journey and then the the actual when you're walking around the city part it, it it's weird it looks a little bit more like SMT3 in that it's like these 
these environments that are largely empty, you know, it's still like at least somewhat interesting. That's why I say lower budget because it's not like they went. I, I feel like uh, like with Persona, they went a little bit more all out. Hmm. Well, that's my perspective on it. Okay. You know why though? I'm thinking low budget though, is because I've been playing Double Summoner three, Double Summoner a lot lately, yeah. and I I see where Atlas like, watch looking at this game, I can see where Atlas takes their, it makes a lot of uh, cuts a lot of corners, to save on the budget in this one. So just going there and seeing this one, like oh, I can see, I can instantly see where they're cutting some corners here and there to save some money. All right. That's just my perspective. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see how much they actually did, how much the game actually did cost to, right. to develop. Does it come with any extras? Soundtrack, the usual? I, I don't know. They they haven't announced yet. No announcement of of pack-ins or extras. So there could be a lot of stuff, and that might justify it. Um, Atlas always nowadays seems to put out bonus stuff with their first run copies, but it's usually just first run copies and no extra price. So this would be different. I don't get it. So there might be something we just don't know about. Otherwise, I I just can't say I'm for this. This is this is them price hiking one of their own games, kind of doing like in America what is more common in Japan, where games don't have a set MSRP and they kind of release all over the board. So I don't know. Uh, next news, Pandora's Tower has a release date, which we might have talked about last week, but just to reiterate, April 16th, it's coming out, and there's a new trailer up on our site, so you can go check that out and, uh, see more about Pandora's Tower. Any of you guys gonna be picking that up? No. No, no chance. Alright. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Two Brothers was announced, a kickstarted game from indie developers Ack Studios, ASA. A-C-K-K is how you spell Ack. They've got a trailer out now, and uh, it's it's weird. Um, it's con- It's got uh, conventions of retro game genre is what our article says. So it kind of looks like a Game Boy game, essentially, um, but with higher quality sprite work than you usually saw on the Game Boy, higher resolution. Um, we've got a PAX East interview up with them. You can check it out. You can go check out the trailer now and see more about what's going up with Two Brothers um, and and how it deals with the themes of life and death and all this other stuff. Neither of you kickstarted this, right? Anybody play What's the game again? Ack, uh, excuse me, Two Brothers. It, it no. kind of looks like a Game Boy game. Uh, the only Kickstarter thing I know about now is with that the color. Wasteland 2 thing ended. Not Wasteland, uh, Numenera. Mm-hmm. Okay. It looks kind of like a Zelda game, Anna, so you might care about it. And then there's a catfish okay. that jumps. I don't know. There's fishing. This actually looks... Oh, now it's color. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> this actually looks really cool. Um, I'm... I, I wonder when that's coming out. Later this um, year. Evil Land came out this week. I don't remember if we put up a story for it or not. Max playing it. Evil Land? Evil Land. E-V-O-L-A-N-D. It's one of the games that came out of Steam Greenlight. Oh, those are always good. Well, you start as a really simple RPG and you move into like a full-fledged 3D world with sprites and all sorts of whistles and bells and Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm looking at the trailer now. Yep, and then it kind of upgrades to 16 32 bit. So, maybe one of us will have to play it this week and 
give some feedback. If Mac doesn't have his review up by the next RPG cast. That looks cool. Yeah. I wonder if it's any good. Um, Mac seems favorable on Twitter so far. Good. Let's see if it, if it keeps up with it beyond just the concept. Because that's usually the issue. Is like, they have a great concept, but the execution might not be great. So <clears throat> we'll see how this works. Wow, it's all over the place. I wonder how that works. Okay. Um, Evo Land, check it out. Magicka's got a new release on the iPad and uh, and Android tablets. Magicka Wizards, Wizards of the Square Tablet. It is a... I don't know. How does this work? It is play solo or co-op, uh, up to four people. And I don't know. It's two bucks. It looks like a side-scrolling beat-em-up. And you can use uh it's got the Magicka battle system and all that stuff. So, and yeah, so go. And check it has out. Vlad, who is most certainly not a vampire. Oh, Vlad's in it. That's what I'm told. All right, that's cool. For two bucks, that's pretty good. And um, no idea. Let's see, it doesn't say if you can do uh, online play, but uh, yes, if you are fans of Magicka, make sure you check out their new release. Demon Souls is free if you're a PlayStation Plus member. So go download that if you haven't yet. Um, I I own Demon Souls, but I downloaded it just to have it digitally on there, just to, just in case. Um, I don't know just in case of what, but just in case. And let's see. Uh, yeah. What else did they put out? Uh, wasn't there another free game? Let's Ooh! See. Malicious Dragon Fantasy. And, Sorry, go ahead. Malicious and Labyrinth Legends are also free this month. Uh, in April, but uh, Demon Souls is one that's up now. Deem- and you were going to say Dragon F- Fantasy is out? No, but um, we announced that book one is um, cross-buy and cross-save. When is it coming out? This month. Oh, later April. Okay. So that's good news? Yeah. Cross-buy we- and cross-save? I, I would have hoped that, but yeah, that's yeah, good to and- have it confirmed. I think we announced a price, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> um... It's ten bucks. Oh, you're just gonna you're gonna get off the ri- off the chains, huh? Yep. Ooh, that's a lot more than I paid for it on iOS. Um, not anymore. What? Price wasn't went that up. A, wasn't that a one dollar game? It was a two dollar game. Okay, now what is it? Eight. Eight? Yeah. Really? Yeah, because the um the all of the sixteen bit stuff and all of the additional content is going to be included in the iOS title now. What? But if you were an early adopter, yeah, like if you paid the two dollars, yeah, you're actually going to get all that content for free. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, sweet! I'm totally yep. set. Yep. So that I don't know when that update is coming down. I think it's going to be after the PlayStation launch. Okay. So you'll have to keep watching for that. That's actually pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I need to finish that game now. <laughs> yes. I thought the 16-bit stuff was part of the sequel. No. No, no. So there is, um, basically, it's sort of an enhanced remake oh. where you can play book one either in 8-bit or in 16-bit. And they've done some other things like added roofs to houses. And um, <laughs> Houses now have roofs. Yes. It's a feature. That's great. And um, Anders basically didn't have much of a story because he mm-hmm. was basically adopted at the end of chapter three. Yeah, spoilers. And um, so there's also like a huge new section for Anders and his three puppets. Okay. So 
and you also sort of get some foresight into some of the changes that are coming in book two. Like, for example, Prince Anders gets a new weapon. Ooh. Ooh. There's actually a video up on the Facebook of him transforming. Cool. It's very silly. All right. So here's one that I'm surprised that I haven't heard much about at all this week. Torchlight 2 now has its uh, editing tools up. Guts. Guts. That's the word. And it's built right into Steam Workshop. Yep. So now you can do custom levels, skills, items, maps, gameplay, and more easily without having to just release, you know, mod files that people have to download and, and throw in And they there. also added a big content update, which was like more pets, more dungeons, more stuff. Really? But no one's talking about it. Is anyone still playing this game? Is my question. Yeah, I mean, in general, is. yeah. Because, okay. I mean, like, um, when Guts first came out, out of, like, the 15 people that were online on my Steam list, like, 10 of them were playing Guts. Okay, good. Or Torchlight 2. All right. So, yes, people are still playing it, even if we're not still playing it. Okay. Hmm. So, what is that Mac version that was going to come out right after launch? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Guts was supposed to come out soon after launch, Yeah, no, too. it was, the, the order was um, PC launch Guts Mac. So you, maybe you'll get in another year. You'll get the the Mac launch. <laughs> has it been a year? How long has it been? Um, it hasn't been a year. I mean, it, it came out in September, in, right? Oh, September. Okay. Yeah, the last day of summer. Oh. Because they said it was going to be twist summer twenty third. There's alpacas now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's also a head crab from. Uh, yeah. From that's from tough. whatever. <laughs> there's a reindeer. <laughs> yeah. And polar panda bears. Yes. But they did. They add a whole bunch of. Asian animals for their release in China. Oh, they must have. Um, I don't. Or was it just remember. the panda? I can get a panda bear. It might have been the panda. I mean, some of this stuff actually isn't new from this. Yeah. Update. They've actually had like three updates in the last six months. Everything's better with alpacas. Yes. <laughs> that's great. All right, so go check out Dark Torchlight Two. The update you've been waiting for that's going to allow really blow up the mod community is here. So get on that now if you're into that still. Numenora, Numenera, not Numenora. Tides of Numenera, that new uh, torment style game, the uh, from the people who made Planescape Torment, is being uh, you know, it is going to come out later than originally planned because they've gotten so much money. They have announced a few month delay on their expected release date for the game, which was uh, now it's going to put them into 2015 for a release. Do you know how much money they made? Um, I don't know. Over four million. Over four million. They're the highest funded game on Kickstarter. Four million one hundred eighty-eight thousand nine hundred twenty-seven dollars. They had a party yesterday to, to celebrate right. at uh, up over in Newport Beach. What they invited some people in the in the LA area to go down there and hang out with the people. Cool. So, did you see the first screenshot? Uh, no. It's on the Kickstarter page. Okay, I'm going. I'm scrolling down. Um, there's a video. Oh, that's the that's the of the 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 this one frame in actual in animation. So that's it. The screenshot is a video. No, well, I mean they did both. If you want to check okay, that well, out, I'm I'm playing the video right now on the stream. There you go. Give it live stream your your emotion your thoughts. Uh, all right. There's a lot of blackness. Oh, now it says torment. It still says torment. Now more blackness. Oh, look, a screenshot. No, wait, that's concept art. It's very messy. No, that is the screenshot. 
No. No, here's another piece of concept art. Oh, wait, there's a person moving. Okay, so that's a screenshot. Yeah, and they, they're going for that uh, the Baldur's Gate pre uh, Planescape Torment pre-rendered background style. Yeah, except it looks a lot nicer here. It looks really nice. And there's a he's standing in front of a pool that's got water in it, and the water's moving, and he's... It's a rogue, and he's looking at the pool. Oh, he kneeled in front of the pool, and the lights are dimming, and it looks like it's not just a pool. It's an altar of some sort, and and, was, and more blackness. No, oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So whatever that means, and there's music too, but... Uh, so you impressed? No, I mean, it's just it's just it's just a dude on a background. No, I'm gonna wait and be impressed when right, something right, impressive right. is shown. Did I, you I mean, back it? it? No, no, I did not. I know that I. It was one of the first ones. That, <laughs> Master Chief asked if Numenera will have alpacas. I do not know. Maybe demonic alpacas. Uh, Demonic Alpaca is apparently responsible for really causing trouble at Square Enix this week. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but a bunch of layoffs were announced. Okay, they weren't yeah, really but alpaca related. But. The ones in the U.S. office, they're not actually done work until the end of June. Well, you don't have to make fun of them for that, but yeah. No, I'm making fun of whoever in management decided that they could talk about, number one, decided to fire people two and a half months ahead of time. And number two, why would you let them make it public? Why would you fire people like six weeks before E3? Because let me tell you, the way to motivate people to have a really good trade show is to tell them that two weeks after it's done, they're canned. Mm-hmm. Well, That's going to be a real interesting booth this year. Well, you know, you're complaining about management, but Yoichi Wada, we learned, is uh, no longer CEO last week, right? Yeah, we so. had some really interesting discussion on the forums about how many of us have um, experience in the food industry. What? Which is actually relevant. You should read the currents column. Okay. I, I don't get the joke, but I will go to our currents column, and I recommend all our listeners do so as well. Um, so Square Enix is eliminating a bunch of positions in the U.S. part, um, and so that's like PR and, and, and I don't know what other staff. Um because clearly they're the ones responsible for the poor performance. Well, no, but the, apparently the it's a way and of cutting money. Um, they say income. layoffs affected employees top to bottom. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. So, so that they were also hit with layoffs in December too, right? Same office, Los Angeles office, according to this article. Um, great. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm assuming they're doing layoffs in Japan as well, but there's no stories about that because it's a company-wide restructure. So Shift the blame to the Americans. It's their fault we're not making money. Even though all the American games are doing really well critically. It's those and Canadian sales. faults. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hear some good talk on Twitter. Like People are just saying, like, this is, this is the Japanese branch flailing to shift blame or... T- t- you know... It's, ah, it's, maybe. I just, what kind of business are you running where selling 3.6 million <laughs> copies of a game, not including digital sales, is a failure? I don't know, but EA had the same sort of issue, right? <laughs> well, the thing is that it's like other games did really worse. So then your expectations to make money rest that much more. Well, with Square Enix, Hitman Absolution did worse, even though it was... Well, and not, not a lot of stuff was coming out of Japan and hitting Sleeping the Sleeping Dogs didn't get as much as they'd hoped, but it did, I don't it know why pretty they, well. 
It, it so sold like, well, but um, not an, apparently not up to it, their expectations. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Expectations are unrealistic. Yeah. Everyone thinks everybody wants to be Activision and, and thinks they should be doing Call of Duty numbers. You know what I say? This is the problem with being a public company, and this is why you should avoid it, because dealing with shareholder expectations is ridiculous. It, it, it distracts you from being able to actually focus on what you're trying to do as a business. But whatever. Like, what do you mean? Call of Duty sold six millions in one six million in one day. How come you're not selling that much? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Having to deal with that crap. All right, Ragnarok Odyssey. Changing the subject. Um, it's coming to. There's a sequel and an expansion coming to PS3 and PlayStation Vita. Um, gonna be coming out. Uh, we don't know if it's coming out in the U.S. yet. But uh, let's see. It's a new title. Ragnarok Odyssey Ace. It'll be out for both PS3 and Vita, as I said. It is um, an expansion and a full-on sequel. Um, so, it's... Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, they're going to be doing both of that. Uh, it features the entire original Odyssey game. So, if you didn't play Ragnarok Odyssey, you'd be able to just play, buy this game and play the uh, entire original game along with the sequel. Um, and let's see what more do we have. They're going to add... New you you yeah new abilities to the six classes, um, and we'll have more info soon. Only announced in Japan so far. It'll be out in July 11th on the Vita. No launch date for the PS3 uh, announced as of yet. No word on cross buy or cross play or anything like that either. So, um, but if you're a Ragnarok Odyssey fan, that's the game that's like, is that the one that's like Monster Hunter, right? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, wait, the online, so. uh, the PSP one is, right? The, the Vita one? Yeah, there you go. Or there's Ragnarok Odyssey. Yeah, that's Vita. Yeah. Uh, Action heavy RPG. Yeah, whatever. All right. And finally, as far as weird uh, things from Japan actually getting US release dates, we have news on Project X Zone. June 25th is coming out. Uh, and. Uh, that's all we know. It'll be 40 bucks, 39.99 through Amazon and GameStop. It's coming out on the 3DS. So, anyone excited for Project X Zone being able to play Mega Man and and Chun-Li in the same game? I honestly don't even know what this game is. Project X Zone? Oh. I don't know what this it's is. a it's an RPG. Um I think it's a strategy game. Uh strategy RPG. And yeah, it's got people from all sorts of uh, Namco, Bandai, and Capcom franchises in in a, in a game together. Hmm. Um, let's see, who's that guy? Yeah, they've got a Tails character on here. They've got Ryu. They've got Dante. <laughs> they got Darkstalkers characters. I think. Uh, so is it any good? Wait, is that? Oh, that's the lady from um, uh, Soccer Wars, isn't it? I think. I don't know. I have no idea if it's any good. I just know it's... <laughs> oh, because Sega's in here too, right? Um, it's, it's a, yeah, you're right. It is Project Cross Zone, isn't it, Master Chief? Because <laughs> it's an X. Um, that's how we pronounce X's on RPG Cast. I don't know if it's any good, Manny. Uh, I haven't heard anything. I just know it's out in June, and uh, you'll be able to find out then. <laughs> Someone write in and tell me who's played the import copy, whether or not this thing's any good. Uh, that's all I got for news. Uh, looks like new Dante. No, it's old Dante. I take that back. It's old Dante. Chat room. All right. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got for news. Um, there's this is a fast else. show. It was a fast show. 
We just um, started very late. Yes. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap up. Thanks, everybody, for watching or, and listening, depending on what you are. If you'd like to watch the show live, it's rpgamer.com slash live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. If you'd like to subscribe to the tune to the show, we're on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. We need more of those. It helps us keep bringing this show here to you. In addition, we need uh, your feedback, and we collect that in a number of ways. Board.rpgamer.com is our message board site. Go there to the latest updates section of the forums. You'll find a th- thread for each week's show. Leave your feedback in that thread. We'll read it right here on the show. In addition, you can also post it or send us an email. Don't send it by post. Send us an email at podcast.rpgamer.com. And if you'd like to use the electronic telephone device, you can do so by calling 608-729-4098 and leaving us a voicemail which we can then play here on the show. You can send us your little segments or music songs if uh, things are RPG-related or RPG-review-related. Um, and uh, pretty decent. We'll play them right here on the show, just like we heard with uh, Zoltan's uh, death metal here earlier. Um, just send those in and uh, to the podcast at rpgamer.com address. Link in MP3 in your email, and then we can play that here on the show. Uh, I think that's it. I'd like to thank everybody for listening this week. We're going to catch you next week. And uh, Anna... Leave us with a parting thought. Um, cheese. All right. Cheese, everybody. See you next week. Bye. This show is done. <laughs>